The 11th chapter of the book of Mark is where we're going to read, beginning at verse 22. We're going back to that um, 11th chapter of Mark to pick up a new idea that we didn't discuss before. Verse 22, And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they shall be granted you. Every promise of God and every truth that relates to Christianity is absolute. Every promise of God is an absolute promise. And every truth is an absolute truth. But every promise of God and truth must be appropriated. And if we can grip that, come to grips with that, I think it will help us to understand the, the, the living of the Christian life. That while the promises of God are absolute, they must be appropriated. For example, Jesus died for all mankind not just for our salvation only. We believe that. That's an absolute truth. His death was an absolute sacrifice. It was a sacrifice for all men, not just for us. Does that mean then that everybody in the world is saved? Well, of course not. Only those who have appropriated the benefits of that sacrifice only those who believe on Him. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that even though the sacrifice of God was an absolute sacrifice, it must be appropriated through faith. That's true of the victory of Jesus over Satan. Second, the second chapter of Colossians says that Jesus stripped him in his death and resurrection. It means that Jesus put Satan out of business. First John says that he was manifested in the flesh, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now if Satan's been put out of business, I wish somebody would tell him that, you know. I mean, he sure does a lot of business with me. The preacher was right who said that, that if Satan, it's true that when Jesus died and rose again, Satan was chained, he must be chained to me. That's about right. I heard about this well-known evangelist who was going to preach a revival up in the Northeast. He was blunt and, uh, you know, opinionated and kind of abrasive like some evangelists are. And he had a sermon on the devil that just really did everything but call folks by name, you know. And I guess the preacher who invited him to come for the revival got second thoughts because his church is pretty liturgical and formal and, and, and kind of liberal. So he, he went to the evangelist 
as he got in and checked in his motel and they were discussing the plans for the week, he said, now you won't need to preach that sermon on the devil in our church this week. He said, well, why not? He said, well, we don't have the devil in our church. He said, well, if you didn't have him before or now, you got him now. And he said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, he rode up with me in the car all the way up here this week. And he'd been sitting by me on this platform up here. If he's been stripped of his power, somebody needs to tell him that. Well, the truth is that the victory of Christ over the devil must be appropriated through faith. That's an absolute victory and an absolute truth. But that absolute victory has to be appropriated by us. Now that's true with regard to faith. When Jesus said, if you learn to trust me, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed, and it'll be cast out. Well, that's an absolute truth. Now some people say that Jesus was just kind of accommodating himself to the people to kind of pump them up, you know, like maybe the coach in a losing locker room would be, you know, kind of giving his team a pep talk. We got them, you know, right where we want them kind of a thing. Well, I don't think that Jesus was saying something that he didn't mean. I think he meant that if we learn to trust him, we can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. A couple of weeks ago, we tried to identify what that mountain was. Is it a stones and dirt, etc.? No, that's ridiculous. In the Bible, mountains represented those barriers and hindrances that loom up to defeat God's purpose in your life. And what he's saying is this, that if you learn to trust me, there is nothing that will hinder you from doing what I want you to do or being what I want you to be. However formidable that obstacle or barrier might be, if you learn to live in faith, learn to trust me, you can just speak away those barriers to my will. Now I want to know how that happens. If it is possible to live in that kind of victory, if that power is available to me, I want to know how, how to appropriate, how to get it. For most of us live our lives in spiritual poverty. Is it true this morning that God has promised you those kinds of things? If it's true, absolutely true, then how in the world do we get it? I'm glad you asked, because that's what I was planning to tell you. Number one, there must be confidence, conviction, that what God has promised is so. Absolute confidence that what God has promised is so. Now I want you to read with me verse 23. I assume you left it open on your lap. Look at this. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Now I was doing fine till I got to that. Weren't you? I just assumed he not put that in there. Does not doubt. Is it possible that you can ever live a life that is doubtless? Is it possible that you can ever come face to face with barriers to doing and being what God wants you to do and be and not have a little bit of doubt? Is it possible to keep doubt from creeping in? I'm going to have to confess to you that there have been times when I've come face to face with those mountains 
And I've believed God for them. And I've tried my best not to doubt. It's kind of like, you know, the harder you try not to do something, you know, I tell you not to look at that flag. I'm going to start something. Don't ever look, don't look the rest of the service at that flag. The harder you try to keep from looking at that flag, the more likely you're going to look at it. Isn't that true? And the harder I try to keep from letting doubt come in, the more doubt slips in. Is it possible to ever live a life that is doubtless? I don't know how you do that. Well, I think it's, you know, it'll be helpful for us to kind of understand what that word means, doubt, there in the original language. It means to be at odds with oneself. Now watch this. It means a hindrance to the doing of the affirmative. It means reluctance to do what is right. Here's the kicker. It means to separate one thing from another. Now we can all relate to that. Because we do that. We, we, we compartmentalize. We separate. You know, this is how we do it. It's kind of like you know, sorting out your laundry. You know, you got your, 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 your pile for the white things over here and you got your pile for the colored things over there, the colored clothes. We do that with regard to the things of the Christian life. Well, you got your possible pile over here. Yeah, that's possible. This over here is impossible. Isn't that the way we do? This is easy. This is hard. And so all of a sudden, we begin to see everything from that perspective, from that viewpoint. This is going to be easy. This is going to be impossible. And we separate them. And what Jesus is saying is this. When it comes to the experience of faith, you've got to stop doing that. For with God, all things are possible. He doesn't have an impossible pile. And if you turn back to the 10th chapter Jesus is talking about how difficult it is for a rich man to get into heaven. He says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And the disciples are just amazed at that. And they say, well, how can anybody be saved? And Jesus said, with man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And when you begin to separate life between the impossible and the possible, that's what, where, you, where you stumble, see. Now notice where the location of the doubt. It's in your heart. Now watch this. When you read through the New Testament, you'll find this phrase often, a heart of unbelief. Now does that surprise you? Shouldn't it be a head of unbelief? Isn't it in the intellect, in the mind, where you disbelieve? I just can't see that at all. I can't understand. Isn't that where we normally think that unbelief is? Not biblical unbelief. It's in the heart. And he's talking about the control room of your life, the center of your life, your will, where your decisions are made. Now let's put it all together and what Jesus is saying is this. That if you learn to face every mountain believing that there is nothing impossible with God and you don't hesitate and you're not reluctant to move out, and you don't separate possible with impossible, you learn not to do that. If you can live like that, you can appropriate my power. It is not possible for you to live a life with no doubt. It is possible for you not to ever be reluctant or hesitant to do the will of God 
You see, Moody used to say, I can't keep a bird from lighting on my head, but I can keep him from building a nest there. Now I can't keep doubt from creeping in to my mind, but I can keep doubt from causing me to hesitate. I can do that. I can exercise the will and do it. Somebody said that when you don't have faith, just act like you do. I love it. All right? There must be confidence, conviction in what God has promised. Y'all still with me, aren't you? This is yes. Okay. Now, number two, there must be confession of what God has promised. Now, I don't know how many times I read this and missed it, but I want you to look at verse 23 again with me. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, look at, underline the word says, if you don't have a pencil, just remember, look at, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it shall be granted him. Now who is the he that says? Well, he's talking about you and me. And he says, this is what the verse, what Jesus is saying, that if you say, be taken up and cast into the sea to the mountain, and believe that what you say is going to happen, it will happen. And there is a direct connection between believing and confessing. Now watch carefully. I think this is a real eye-opening key. There is power in the spoken word. If you don't believe that, the next time you start checking in your baggage at DFW, and you're just kind of sitting there waiting for them to check in your baggage, you just say one sentence. There is in my bag a bomb. Now, you don't even have to say the, all of the sentence where anybody can understand it. Just mumble it. And you come to the last word, you say that so they can understand it. Just say it something like this. They're in my mind. A bomb. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, you'll be looking down the barrel, about four pistols, one from every side, because there's power in the spoken word. Jesus said, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven him. The scripture says that every one of us will give an account for every word we think, no, we speak. James says that the most powerful organ in the body is the tongue. And the person who does not offend with a tongue is the complete perfect person. But if he cannot bridle his tongue, his religion is non-existent. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved because there is a connection between the believing heart and the confessing mouth. Now I want you to get this principle and jot it down on the walls of your mind like graffiti. This principle... We possess what we confess. For in the Christian life, you will never rise higher than the level of your confession. Now what do people go around, Christian, most Christians go around confessing most of the time? They go around confessing 
their weakness, their doubt, their fear, their failure. And what do Christians go around possessing most of the time? Weakness, doubt, fear, failure. I'm just a weak Christian. Well, that's what you've become. That's what you are. For what you possess is what you confess. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And what he's saying is that what you speak what you're, with what you're filled, the tongue never really ever goes down to the bottom of the barrel and drags up the bottom. It always just kind of skims off the top. So if you're filled with the promises of God, that's what you confess. Why don't you start confessing what the Bible says about you instead of what you think about yourself? Are you listening? I mean, the Bible says you're more than conqueror. So you go around confessing, I'm more than conqueror. The Bible says that, that all things are yours. So why don't you go around instead of saying, you know, I don't have anything in this. I'm just, you know, I'd hardly have it. Why don't you go around saying, I have all things Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why don't you confess that? The scripture says that we live, we reign like kings. Why don't we confess that? For in the confessing of that with the mouth, we begin to possess it with our lives. Are you hearing me? Now, why is that true? Well, I think it's true for two reasons. Number one is, is there something about a confession that kind of seals it inside of you. I was looking at some things that Michelle had this weekend with her retreat out to student council retreat about self-image. And there was this statement in that material that says that, that when you say something about yourself, it subconsciously records that in your mind. Now, if I go around saying, I'm just, I'm, I just can't, you know, I'm a doubt, I'm a doubt, and I'm weak, I'm fearful. You know what that does? It records that in your mind. But when you go around confessing what the Bible says as an absolute truth, that's recorded in your subconscious as well. Are you listening? And the second reason why I think it works is because it rebukes the devil. For the devil tells you all of this false information that you put in your mind that's guilt-ridden and fearful. He puts that in your mind. And when you begin to confess what God says about you, it rebukes him. There is nothing that rebukes the devil more than praise and confession. There must be a confession of what God has said. This is the last. There must be a, compla a com complaining. There must be a claiming of what God has promised. Now verse 24 begins like this. Therefore, when you see that word, you ask, what's it there for? It's an index finger pointing back to what is said. Therefore, he says, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you received them, and they shall be yours. Now I want you to, um, if you've nodded off, or you're checking out the time, and looking at your watch, there's 15 minutes. I want you to zero in on this. There must be a claiming. And the method of that claiming is asking. And the manner of that asking is assurance. Now watch carefully. 
The method of the claiming is asking. You have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. A few years ago, I became really burdened about my own prayer life. Still am. But I decided I was going to read every book I could find on prayer. And I'd get a book and I'd read it and I'd make a note of all of the books that that book talked about. And I'd get that, those books. And if any of them had a bibliography, I'd get those. And I got every book I could get on prayer and read every single one of them, sometime two and three times. Does that make me an authority on prayer? No, I know less about prayer today than I did then. It's inexhaustible. And the amazing thing about prayer is that when you close one door and understand what it's talking about, there's two more opens up that you don't know about. It's amazing. I love it. It's infinite. But I came to this conclusion as I studied prayer. It's this, that the main business of prayer is to get what you want. And that's, that's pretty simple. Now I've read that prayer is like a, kind of like a, having a catharsis. It's like you lay down on a couch and you ventilate to God. But I'm convinced that the purpose of prayer is to get what you need and want. And I've heard great men of prayer talk about the answer to prayer, answer to asking I listened to Ron Dunn tell about the time he was supposed to preach in Biloxi, Mississippi. Bad weather caused his plane to be delayed in New Orleans, and when they got ready for the next, it had been canceled. He said, i got to get to Biloxi. So he said, well, there's a little com- a commuter plane. Nobody else is, no, no other airliners are going into Biloxi, but there's a commuter airline. He said, well, I, he said, I knew I was in trouble when the same man that took the ticket, took the bags out to help you on, was the stewardess and the pilot. He said, I knew we were in trouble. He said, we almost got to Biloxi when he said over the kind of, the, you know, he just kind of re- lifted, re- turned around and, you know, he didn't have a, he said, well, it's fogged in in, in Biloxi. I don't think we're going to, we'll have turned back. He said, we'll go a little bit farther, but I'm, I'm just sure we can't make it. So Ron Dunn said, I just said, God, I don't think you called me preaching Biloxi for me to spend my time up here in this airplane. If that's what you want, that's fine. But I think you saved me and called me to preach and they need me down in Biloxi and they're not going to have anybody preach this conference unless I get there. It's up to you. He said when they came into Biloxi, Mississippi, he said there was one spot, little hole in the clouds, the fog, right over the airport. He said they came right down in, landed there. He said when we got out of the plane, I looked up and fog just came in like a curtain and covered over that airport. The method of getting what you need is to ask God for it. Second, the manner of your asking is assurance. I mean, it's like, it's like I have a right to this. I mean, stop going to God like a beggar at the back door of a stranger with your hat in your hand. He said, if you believe, you can ask and then know it's yours. You see that? You may not have it in your hands. You may not can see it or touch it. 
but you have a right to it, so it's yours. That's the manner of the asking. Now I'm going to close with this. I want you to turn to the little epistle of James. I'm going to read verse 5 of chapter 1. Listen. Now if you're in a hurry, you turn, you turn quickly. If you're not in a hurry, just take your time and I'll quit whenever I hear the last rustle. Boy, that'll speed it up. All right. All right. Verse 5 of chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like, here it is, it's just like we talked about at first, it's like, here's, Here's the possible, here's the impossible, back and forth, back and forth, compartmentalized. He's like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. A guy came into my office one afternoon about 2.30 in the afternoon, right back here. And he sat down in my office, he said, Gerald, I'm facing a major decision. He said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, what are the alternatives? And there were three alternatives in the decision. I said, have you asked God for wisdom? He said, well, I, I think I have. He said, I, I, don't know, I just don't know what to do. He said, I've talked to a lot of people. And I've even consulted an attorney. And he said, I, did, I don't know what to do. And I read him this verse of Scripture, true story. And I said, well, you know, the Scripture says that if we ask God, if we act wisdom, we can ask of God and He'll give it. I said, let's do that. I said, we're going to put our finger right on His verse and we're going to get down. So we, we got down on our knees right in front of my desk. And I read this verse and I prayed that God, I said, now, I called His name. You'd know His name if I called. I said, you just ask God for wisdom in this thing and, and claim this verse. And He did. Just prayed that, Lord, I lack wisdom. I'd like to know what you want me to do in this matter. So I said, Amen. We got up and I said, Now, what came to your mind? Did one of those alternatives come to your mind when you prayed that? He said, Yes. I said, Which one? He told me. He said, I still don't know. What if that's my, what if that's my decision? What if that's, well, I, that's, what if that's my own opinion? I said, Well, you have a right to believe that if you ask God, the answer you get right then is His answer. You have a right to believe that. You believe that? I do. And I said, now, what you do, you do this. I said, you get up without hesitating, without reluctance to do that. And if you're doing it, and it's not, and it's an ignorant decision, God will close the door to it. He, did, he went up, he, he did it, he got out, he left, he went and did it, and it proved to be the right answer. Now, that is what I believe is the claiming that enables us to lay hold on the promises of God that are absolute. A conviction, what He says is true. A confession of what He says. And a claiming which has the method, the method is prayer and the manner is assurance. 
want you to bow your head this morning. Close your eyes. Now there might be a decision you need to make in this service today. Right here where the Spirit of God hovers. Ask God what He wants you to do. Lord, I lack wisdom. Lord, I'm without hesitation. Do it. In a moment when we give invitation, I'm going to invite you this morning who have never accepted Christ as your Lord. You know what to do. Jesus died for you, but you've never claimed that for yourself by faith. The way we claim that is to turn away from everything and surrender to Him. Trust Him. Some of you may need to come this morning to put your life in the fellowship of this church or to, or to recommit yourself to the Lord. Maybe a decision that you're struggling with. With that, at that point. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in this moment of decision where we come face to face with the barriers to Your will to be what You want us to be and do what You want us to do, help us not to put this in the face of impossible but to act, to respond in faith without hesitation. For I ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Now we're going to sing. Choir will begin to sing. We invite you to come. Would you stand?